Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. And good morning, church family. Good to be together today. Excited for where we're going in the, uh, this letter to the church in Ephesus. And last week we covered chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, a prayer that we, we uh, I, it was, it's been neat throughout the, the week as I've talked with a number of you just sharing where God has been at work in your hearts and our hearts as we pray this prayer. And, and the hope is that we would take this prayer as a means of grace to, to just keep praying it as we do life. And the, the big goal is that this prayer would stoke in us a love for the Lord and a love for God that would just burn bright till the day He comes for us or uh, calls us home. But today we're in a unique place in this letter. Or, before we go there, the uh, quick, I did not have time last week to share this prayer out of Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21 is the textual uh, source and root and anchor and foundation of that little motto that we'll often say, by his power, for his glory, with his love, B-H-P-F-H-G-W-H-L. If you're newer to the church or a guest with us today, that's a little motto that I saw a Kentucky basketball player had um, on his shoe, and I picked it up, like, man, that's helpful to just remind me how to pray. Lord, help me live B-H-P, by his power. That's the first part of this prayer in Ephesians, that we would be strengthened. And then FHG is the last part of the prayer, filled with his measure, all the measures so that we might glorify him for his glory. Lord, help me live BHP, by his power, for his glory. And then the WHL is help me live with his love. And that's the middle part of the prayer, which is as we understand, awaken to and grasp and know the limitless love of Christ, um, it, it flows through us to those around us as well. So I love that. That prayer often is the one that, um, you know, you have those prayers that you pray before you get out of bed, that you're like, you look at the day and you're like, whoo, it's going to be a tough day. Alarm clock goes off. This is probably my most frequent. Lord, okay, here we go. BHP, by your power, FHG, for your glory, and WHL, with your love. And super helpful just to, before the feet hit the ground to get up and get up and go for him. All right. Today we come to uh, chapter 4. What's unique about, uh, is you, if you've studied Paul's letters, there's a pretty clear division from where he moves from doctrine, this is what you need to know, must know information, to duty or responsibility. So from creed, this is core to, to understanding your belief, to conduct. Okay, now in light of that creed, in light of that truth, this is how we're called to live. This is where we're at today. It's that shift pivot point where Paul says, okay, He's been, chapters 1 to 3, just, we've been basking in the joy of who we are in Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, these things are true of us. This is our identity. And now he's going to pivot and take us into, okay, because this is true, this is how we live. This is what our lives should look like. So for the rest, chapters 4 to 6 is going to be action and really a call to, he goes from, if uh, English teachers in here, this is for you, Molly, and Anybody else? Indicative to imperative. So uh, who, the what to, to the, okay, this is how we live. Just to context this, and, and this is something that's a bit off, off the, the text, but one of the biggest challenges when we come to the commands of God or the imperatives of God is 
we, uh, there's the danger of, okay, we come, to, we come to faith in Christ and we receive the gift of his grace and his love, but then when we come to the command, it's like, okay, now I have to do this in my power. And it almost become, it can become a self-improvement plan where the danger pride-wise is it can become, wow, look at self-righteous, look at me. Or when we fail, we get so down on ourselves, we beat ourselves up, we live in our own doghouse, shame, guilt, and we end up in despair. What's really neat, I think, in this text is God protects us from this, and he helps us live in that place of grace, anchored in grace. The prayer... Paul starts on his knees, and he really just, as you read that prayer, it's all that God does for us. We do nothing. He's done all this for us. He strengthens us. It's his love. He fills us. You go to the end of Ephesians, and you come to chapter 6, where he says this, and it's so important, and this is a text we'll come back to again and again, but this is something that I think every week as a, a Christian, we need this text. It's the armor of God, and he says this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're not gonna do any of this in our own strength. And then he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, that you can live these things out. And then he goes through that armor, which is really a praying on of the gospel, again, the good news. He's like, belt, put that belt of truth around your waist. What is true of you? All these things we've covered in one to three. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. What's that mean? Because this is so important. When you believe in Jesus, something happens. Now, you ask Americans right now, how many people believe in Jesus? You probably get a high percentage. But if you ask also the demons, Scripture tells us demons, 100% of the demons believe in Jesus. So what does it mean to believe and have eternal life? And we know that's, understanding that he is who he is and did what he did for us in, on the cross. So really, it's understanding that Christ came, took our place on the cross, lived a perfect life, died as our sacrifice, and promises forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who believes in him. So our belief is it's an act of the will where we say, I'm no longer trusting myself to be right before God, I am trusting solely what Christ did for me, and everything we've done wrong before God is forgiven, every sin. So when I was minus a million in God's eyes, I have become all those sins that put me in the minus category, those that my sin debt has all been covered, and I, am, I have zero debt before God, zero debt. But there's a problem with that. Zero is not enough to get me into heaven or right with God. I have to be perfect from this point out. And that's where we can get into despair. What, what do we do with, with that? And, and it's understanding the righteousness of Christ, the full gospel. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our faith not only results in the forgiveness of all sin, but it also, in that moment that we trust Christ, God credits to us the right life of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, so that the perfect life that Jesus lived, you get credit for, I get credit for. He doesn't see our brokenness and our strugglings and our failure. He sees the righteousness of Christ, and we stand in that, and that's the breastplate that guards our heart. So when we have those moments of failure, John says, I've written these things so that you will not sin, but when you sin, you have an advocate, the Christ, and we go to him in confession, 
and he forgives us our sin. But as we stand before God right now in Christ, we are righteous. And it's so important that we, we get that, we hold on to that. Um, you go through the rest of that armor. One of the pieces of armor is the shield of faith by which we extinguish the flaming arts of the devil. One of the things the devil is going to come at you with is you are a hypocrite. You are a failure. You're a sinner. You're not worthy of God's love. In fact, and, and what do we do? We lift up the gospel, the good news, and we say, I don't stand on my performance. I stand on his performance. You're right. I failed, but I stand in the righteousness of Christ by faith. Romans 3, 22 to 29 is probably the most clear explanation of this if you want to dig in further, but it is precious truth. Guys, this is why we call this good news. <laughs> and it's hard to live there, though. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I, I trust Christ for my forgiveness, but I struggle to trust him for my righteousness, even right now. But that's what God calls us to, and important to, to grasp this as we... Uh, as we set out to, to uh, follow him into the life he's called us into. So with that framework in mind, we will go ahead, dig into this text. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here's the big idea. And what's neat about this first imperative is it's a summary imperative under which you can hang every other command that's to follow in this letter. And it is this, live up to the calling that you have received. So here God is saying, based on who we are in Christ, chapters 1 to 3, now live up to that. Let your life match with your identity. And I, I don't know if you feel the hope that's coming out of this, but really it's we don't have to stay, stay stuck in our depravity or stuck in our weakness or stuck in the, those uh, dysfunctional relating patterns that we had under our old way of life. But rather we have power now and we are called by God to live up to our calling, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. I love the, uh, do you know when he says church in chapter uh, 3, 21, 22 there, the, God would get glory through the church. It's the word ekklesia in Greek. Klesia is, is uh, the idea of being called and ek is called out. What is the church? We are called out people. Called out to live up, to, uh, to be like Christ as we do our life. So we say, okay, how does that, what exactly are you talking about, Paul? What's that look like? What's it mean to live up to our calling? And he answers that question in this text with three core pursuits, which will be the mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ. Three core pursuits which lead to relational health. Three core pursuits that are tough to take, but, but when we follow them, they lead to, to an intimacy and a unity that these are transferable really to any relationship with a friend relationship, family, uh, small group, church, family, work, team, whatever. These things work because they're God's truth, but they're aimed specifically at the body of Christ so that we might be do what he's called us to do and um, carry out the mission that, that he's given us. So first core pursuit, the, the first thing that he calls us to as we live up to our calling is, there in verse two is he says, be completely humble and gentle. 
Now, isn't it interesting? The very first thing that he would call us to is humble. <laughs> I mean, this is like, and the, as humility plays out, it's in, it, it will show up in the, we will be gentle as we interact with each other. Do you have any idea why he might have done this? What was going through Paul's mind? Any thoughts, any other scripture coming to your mind? And really, every command is a, the backdrop of that command. The one who lived it out perfectly is Christ. But the, but the way that Jesus, when he was here on earth, describes his heart, the only time in the Gospels that the Lord says, this is what I'm like, this is my heart. Do you remember how he describes himself? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He'll go ahead and read the text. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Pride fractures relationships, doesn't it? Fractures our relationship with our, our God, with each other, even within our own soul and self. So what's the antidote to our great enemy, which is pride that flows through our motives and taints uh, much of what we do. It's this first on the list. It's humility. People who are followers of the king, members, citizens of the kingdom of God, of his, of his body, what will mark our lives will be humility. The first Adam blew up paradise with a pride-fueled choice. Eat this fruit and you will be like God. The second Adam leads us back into paradise, is reconciling the kingdom, Eden, again, through humility. People who will humble themselves. Kingdom come through humility. So we say, what is humility? I love the way Andrew Murray puts it and says, humility is the disappearance of self in the vision of all that God is. It's not the thinking less of self or being a doormat or anything like that, but rather it's thinking of self less as we fix our eyes on the Lord and receive his love and seek to live out his love with those around us. Pride wrecks our relationships. Humility is what brings healing and the joy of intimacy. It's neat how humility frees us to just be who God created us to be, serve the way God created us to serve, and be with people. Like we're not thinking about, hey, how's, you know, being with that person going to elevate my status or whatever. We're just like whoever. And you look at how Jesus lived. He was with people that were outcast. He was, they were constantly saying like, hey, these kids don't have time for you. And he's like, no, I'm going to be with these kids. Um, kids were low on the totem pole of social status. And, and we, that's who we are as the body of Christ. We're, we're free to befriend, serve, love all people. And humility leads to a gentle a gentleness as we interact with each other. Now, what does this word gentle mean? It's kind of, it's a tough word to translate, but it's it doesn't mean the absence of passion or even right righteous anger at times. We know Jesus was angry, flipped tables there when in the temple when they were uh, robbing people to, and uh, it was just something that was wrong that needed to be fixed. It's the idea of being right, uh, bringing the right amount of. Uh, influence and power for each unique situation th that would be best for the person. 
it, um, Aristotle carried, described it as it's the mean between um, being angry all the time and in the wrong situations and just, uh, you know, just trigger happy, harsh, you know, rip it up, rip it on people and just that kind of person, flammable, to be, never being angry at all. And it's that balance of right in between what, what, what's appropriate. It's not being harsh or uh, um, reactionary, but rather being thoughtful, considerate about how my words, actions will impact another person. When someone is gentle, you're safe with them. This word is used of, to describe a, a strong horse, a stallion that has been tame so that you can put a, even a child on its back and that child is safe. It, it's got power and it will use that power, but, but that power is under control. We know for us it's under the control of the Holy Spirit as we, uh, as we do life. So the calling here, first core practice is to be completely humble and gentle. Second core pursuit is that we would be patient bearing with one another in love. So this idea of patience carries, it, it carries that idea of being long-tempered or long-suffering, that uh, we have a long fuse. It, uh, he helps us understand what patience means by that, the phrase that goes with it, bearing with one another in love. So just putting up with one another, but in love. It's not like we're rolling our eyes like, oh boy, this person, but rather we love this person even as we have to put up with each other's um, irritating uh, mannerisms or whatever that may be. As I was reflecting on this, it hit me that, you know, as you read Scripture, patience is, like, central in terms of a virtue that God calls us to pursue. And yet, I don't like to think about patience that much. <laughs> it's not like we give out patience awards, you know, to people. This is the most patient person. And I was thinking, why is that? You, it's central right here. It says, all right, this is what we're to be pursuing as, as followers of Christ. When God goes to describe love, okay? So he is love. This is going to be, this is who he is like. And then he says, now I want you to go be like this. In 1 Corinthians 13, what's the first word he uses to describe love? Love is patient. And then it's a fruit of the Spirit. I like to think of the first three fruits of the Spirit that God's created in us. Um, love, joy, peace. But what's the fourth one? Patience. Why is it I struggle that patience drops off my radar? I concluded it's because patience reminds me of my failure. <laughs> I don't like to think about God having to be infinitely patient with me because I'm constantly creating opportunities for Him to practice that patience. And I don't like to think about the reality that I am causing you to have to be patient with me. And uh, here's the thing, guys. Th this, is, this is reality as a church family. God has providentially, sovereignly placed each one of us together. But in a state of metamorphosis in which we will never be the butterfly. We will always be the worm or the cocoon or in the in-between phase. Are any of us going to be like Christ? And now we have to do life together. It's going to be messy so that we will unintentionally irritate one another until he comes for us. Welcome to church. <laughs> but why did God do that? Why did God do that? 
so we might display his infinite patience as we are patient with each other and bear with one another in love. It's different than the world. Out at the office in your work, when you bear with one another, you're like, ah, I can't wait to, and there's, it's not in love. Here, when we bear with each other, it's like, and we de- it doesn't mean we don't deal with stuff, and, but, but we love each other through it. The, the picture that was um, a gift last weekend was after service, a grandfather came up to me, and he was, uh, he and his uh, wife had come into our community to give mom and dad a spell. They were watching the kids. And so he was sitting back here with his, his uh, grandchild on his lap. Halfway through the sermon, he feels this warm sensation running down his legs. <laughs> and he gets up, takes care of business, helps this grand, grandchild get cleaned up, whatever. But as he's standing back there telling me about this story, he's smiling as he's still all wet. And, hey, this is what we do, Right? His grandparents, glad to do it. Still holding his, his grandchild, just loving on her. She's clueless. <laughs> Bear with one another in love. The reality is we will all, and the illustration breaks down, hopefully we're not peeing on each other. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it gets messy, doesn't it? Especially somebody just comes to Christ, they're not a long way from being like him going to get messy but but we are, we're family and, and we help each other patient bear with each other in love and then the third core pursuit that he calls us to is to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace here God is calling us to be active in pursuing unity so what Jesus died to give us which is bring us together this bond of peace we live to preserve to protect and the word there make every effort is to be eager it's like a dog after a bone it's like okay how can I create unity and be a, a, a unifier and a peacemaker in the body of Christ so that when I feel disunity in my own heart towards somebody I'm confessing it dealing with it when I see disunity going on in the body I'm doing what I can to to bring peace to that uh, situation it's significant that when our Lord prayed for us in John 17, what was the first prayer that he, a really primary request of that whole prayer? He said, Father, would you make them one as we are one? Why? So that the world might know who he is. It's mission critical. But someone, can see someone in this church raising their hand and being like, you don't know so-and-so. I, I, I cannot be unified with this person. Or this group is over here and this group is over there, here and there's no way that these two groups can come together. And Paul lists off seven reasons why we must and can be unified in this text. As he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, the Father of all. These are, uh, there's two sets of threes and then plus one when Paul lists out his reasons. And I just love, it's not one reason, He's just pounding it, I think, emphasis. But he's, uh, the first set is, there's one body, one spirit. And we hope, guys, we are one body, the body of Christ. And what we do to each other, we do to him. One spirit. The word spirit there, it can be tra- it's the Holy Spirit, but it can be translated breath. Um, it's pneuma, the word pneuma in Greek. So that, what is it that brings us to life and animates our life as individually, but also corporately? It's the spirit of God. And so, so must we one spirit moving us is going to move us toward unity. We have a one hope to which we are called, which is the coming of our king. So one body, one spirit, one hope. But then we have one Lord 
He's the one who we are following. Eyes on him. We have one faith, what we believe. We have one baptism. We were baptized into the Spirit, into one body. And then we have one God and Father of all. And I love the way he describes this. So I'm seeing the, the family table, and we sit around as a, if you can imagine all of us sitting around a table, and there's our Father sitting at the head of the table. He is overall, He is supreme. Um, he is sovereign over all. He is through all, meaning he is, he's the one who provides for us. He's provided everything that we have, and he guides, leads, directs us, and he is in all, meaning he is, um, we are his dwelling place. And the theme that we, we've been uh, talking about over the past few weeks, through his Holy Spirit, he is in us individually, but corporately, he, uh, he is the one who is present. Why pursue unity and Paul gives us all these reasons. So, bringing it all together, the challenge of the day is to live up to the calling that God has given us. What's this look like? How do, we, how do we do this? Three core pursuits. The first is be completely humble and gentle. Second, be patient, varying with one another in love. And then third, make every effort to keep the unity of the, the Spirit. So today is a special day in that we have Kelly and Sherry Fath with us who have been teammates on our church planting team serving in uh, Central Europe. And, and uh, one of their primary uh, responsibilities and, and giftings as well has been helping teams work together with unity. And mission teams, um, they, they oversee a region. And one of the challenges that uh, we struggle, you know, in our own ways, but especially hard when you go into a foreign country to uh, stay unified as a team. And so I thought, wow, how this syncs up with our text is really neat today. So rather than do the normal missionary report, we thought, what if we, um, let's do this. Let's set up a hypothetical. Imagine today, now this is fiction, hypothetical, but imagine there's a, some people in our church, or we'll start with family. There's a family where there's some disunity happening at home. And, uh, or we'll go church-wise, maybe within a small group or within a, maybe, maybe this is a great sports season, but maybe something happened on the football field or in the bleachers or, you know, at the, in the gym, on the soccer fields, whatever, where parents kind of got at each other, somebody's feelings got hurt, maybe it was a coach player, and there is some disunity, and we are experiencing the, the very real possibility of, of not being unified as we move forward, and so we hire from the great state of Michigan, Kelly and Sherry, to come down and for the next 10 minutes, save our day. Which, and we checked first, the, yesterday for the Michigan was quite a day with a game of games, uh, Michigan and Michigan State, their household is divided. So, I mean, they've had to practice this at home. But uh, with that, how's that sound? Again, fictional, I think we're all unified, but just in case, is that good? So we'll go ahead and uh, welcome Kelly as he comes to share. Welcome him. <laughs> as as uh, first question would be, how, how's it going with you guys? And for those who may not know you, quick introduction. So yeah. started well, there. Thanks, John. It's great to be back at Westbridge. Uh, Sherry and I were recalling this morning, it's been several years since we had the opportunity to be here. And we just want to thank you for your partnership with us. And Larry's going to help me moving forward quickly. For those who don't know us very well, uh, you have been supporting me for almost 20 years. Uh, it was in 2003. You 
and um, I uh, went to Romania in 2004, but you had joined uh, my support team. And then Sherry and I were married in 2010. And so you've been supporting us as a, as a couple for almost 12 years and uh, some of the places where we lived as we began serving as regional director. And then this next slide, I'll just let you kind of read some bullet points to kind of capture what we've done. Uh, we've had uh, about 100 adults, 60 MKs or missionary kids serving in about 12 countries that we oversaw. And as we thoroughly, it was just a privilege and enjoyed that. But as we assessed that, we realized that it was really too much scope. And so over the past few years, um, God led me to develop this plan, that be, or a concept that became a plan uh, to multiply our region into two. That happened this past April. And in the midst of that, as we were evaluating options and considering who would be candidates, God clearly raised two men um, to the top. And as Sherry reflected on it with me, we thought, you know, really to have two new beginnings, there kind of needs to be a, a good ending. And so that ending was our stepping out of the role that we have thoroughly loved. And so um, that led to uh, two new regions, so Central Europe and Mediterranean region, and Eastern Europe and Central Asia region, which launched on April 12th. And we stayed in Europe for the balance of April and May in support roles. And then June packed up our household and moved back to Michigan to begin furlough and all the time considering where God was leading. Um, some of the other things real quickly that we were involved in um, also with uh, fellow regional directors. We had a collaboration and a number of things um, was with a lot of things being moved virtual. I was able to do some training at ABWE for the new missionaries on serving with and as single teammates. And then our, our local church involvement kind of beefed up since we weren't traveling uh, the past 18, 18 months in Bratislava. And so um, including a search committee, um, our long-term pastor from South Africa and his wife were retiring. And so I... Um, did some preaching last Advent season, and then was part of the search committee to call a pastor that we had never met in person. And so, because we couldn't get guests into Europe without work documents. And so they began in July, the new pastor, and they're doing well. So that's some of the things that we've been up to the past two years. Um, but then finally, um, oh, and then so then where we're headed next. So in this process of where, where God is leading us, and we looked at a number of options within ABWE, and a pastor approached me unsolicited in early July. Just wanted to talk about some opportunities. And that led to several conversations and God kept opening doors and there was affirmation from a number of people. And so in January, uh, we are joining West Cannon Baptist Church and I will serve as the Associate Pastor of Adult Ministries and Missions. We're excited about the opportunity to serve together, particularly with single adults and uh, caring for missionary families, which we've done. And the church has been gracious to wait until January so we can complete our reporting to our 14 sending and supporting churches this fall, which has been a real joy. So I just want to thank you again, uh, and we'll kind of leave that slide there, for your partnership. We couldn't do what we do without your contributions and, it's, and the encouragement, the notes. Um, Joe and Karen have been so faithful. We hear from your church regularly. When we're here, it's clear that you are knowledgeably praying for us and aware of what's going on. And so it's a joy to be here to thank you for your investment in us and to partner with you and to be here this morning. All right. Thank you, Kelly. All right. So or before we get to the, the conflict resolution and yeah. what we've paid you big money to come down and help <laughs> us with, the, uh, we'll go with uh, you've been through a season of pretty intense decision making. And I'm sure some people here today have decisions that they're making. Any big takeaways that you would give us just to help with those Yes, and, and that was, um, John and I had talked about this a little bit this week, so I've been giving this some thought, 
and um, remembered a little bit back to almost 20 years ago when God led me to leave my law firm and start seminary. And, you know, these big changes that happen. And not all of the, the decisions that we make are major life changes, but I think there's some principles that if we begin to apply, prepare us for those bigger, bigger decisions. Um, of course, prayer is, is, I would hope, is a given. Um, but to be intentional about praying for things and helping God to check our hearts and our attitudes, our motivations. Um, really, this whole idea of humility, also the application to humbly, God, where, what are you doing and where are you leading, um, even if it's not what we're expecting. And sometimes he leads us through a difficult journey to get to the destination that he has prepared for us. And so that, that trust factor. I think the other thing that oftentimes, too often, I think particularly as believers that we miss out on is fellow believers' input and to have that counsel and people speaking into our lives. And um, because sometimes God works in mysterious ways, right? But we don't want to be just led by a hunch or a whim. We want that affirmed by God's people. And so to have people that, are, that are, we're, we're kind of opening our lives up to, here's some thoughts, here's some possible directions, here's what, here's what my desires are, and do they line up? How might God be leading? And so, so in a practical sense, beginning in about March or April, I put together uh, some, some friends and some advisors that were willing to engage by email, and about 15 um, individuals or couples, which included Gary and Marty Crawford and Harry and Jan Gebert, whom you both no, and um, just began sharing devotional thoughts, possible things I was considering and getting their input and questions. You know, hey, have you thought about this? Or, you know, I'm reading this. What does this mean? And just to really process that together so that when you reach that destination, if it kind of doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, you know it wasn't just a, a bad pizza, that you have other people confirming, that, hey, God, God was leading in this. And, you know, this at the beginning, that was an unexpected destination, but he's been in it the whole way. That's me. Thank you. All right, so now to the matter at hand. We have potential conflict and disunity. You got, yeah, a couple minutes. Okay. Everything you got, everything you've learned <laughs> the past 20 years, here we come. Bring it. <laughs> well, I think John led in a great passage this morning, and particularly the, the points he brought out, but that humility is key, um, putting others first. Even when you get to the passage where Paul's addressing an actual lawsuit in the church, you know, we need to be willing to suffer wrong rather than the name of Christ be damaged. And so that's a, a sacrificial humility, um, even as we think, well, my rights have been infringed. Well, it may be that the end result is your rights aren't going to be fully restored, but you need to be okay with that. And so, but as, as Sherry and I have had an opportunity to engage with the, the few occasions, um, even missionaries have problems, and, um, but to engage with those that were in conflict, uh, it's important to sit both people down. Of course, we have a great advantage if we're dealing with believers. That, as you mentioned, the Holy Spirit's power and dwelling in that one love and that one faith. Um, but to really talk through where, did, where what's the root of, of conflict, because oftentimes it's been layered by time and by narratives that each, peop, each party has told themselves about the initial problem. And, uh, and a lot of times we found at the beginning was just lack of communication or unmet expectations. Maybe neither party was really in the wrong, but how they kind of interpreted, and there was hurt, but it wasn't intentional. And so to kind of peel back and to help, help people just to, to hear one another's perspective, to talk openly, to be willing to, um, if there is sin, to confess that, but also just be willing to acknowledge, hey, I may not have done anything wrong, 
but my actions or comment were interpreted or were hurtful to that person. And to be able to not say, well, I'm not going to apologize because I didn't do anything wrong, but to in humility come to a brother and say, boy, I'm really sorry that you've, and not to excuse things like, I'm sorry you took it that way, um, but wow, I didn't realize the impact that that comment had, or that wasn't my intent, but I really am, am sorry that, that it hurt you that way, and to allow uh, brothers and sisters to come together with the bond of Christ. Hey, awesome. Well, thank you. Wish we could do a Q&A, but uh, we got to keep moving. As you have seen this uh, lived out in this text, and just any examples that would be an encouragement to us and we set out to live it out. Sherry and I were talking last night and kind of rehearsing some things to share and kind of a highlight. And one of the teams that we worked with in particular uh, several years ago, we realized was really struggling. And we had made a visit and we were hearing concerns from various teammates and um, everyone was kind of doing their own thing. They weren't really functioning together. And then there was a change in, in leadership. And so you've got that void. And so we stepped in to provide some help and some direction. And then uh, in the past two years, uh, there were a couple of crises at the team, external things that, that affected the team that really brought them together. And, um, but beyond just as Christian brothers helping one another, it really enforced that idea of team. And then just last spring, we were in a virtual meeting with them and to see and hear different reactions of teammates as they engaged on really strategic planning for the future that they're now looking at collectively, not just a, a collection of individuals. And to hear one of the stronger voices on the team put out a, a, an opinion, fairly as he was wont to do, pretty strongly. And two of the, 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 the more meeker voices respond with a contrary point of view, not in a um, you're wrong or a challenging way, but here's what I think. And to, for them to have the, the safety to express that when they would, that wouldn't have been their normal. And then the response of this teammate, it's like, wow, I think you're right. And to kind of pull back from the strong assertion he had put on the table um, and just to see the whole team begin to, to function and to communicate openly and to really draw in the gifts of, of each of the team members because they had an opportunity to voice that and be heard and respected. And to see the, the, the better result because of that was just really thrilling to see and to see um, the future that they have in store. That's cool. That's a neat picture of team, isn't it? What God, God can do. Ways we can be praying for you guys. Uh, the immediate need this week, um, Sherry and I are on our way to Missouri for a re-entry seminar for returning to life in the States. And that means that our kids are home. And so you can pray for our two sets of grandparents that are doing <laughs> tag team duty this week. And for Emma and Luke to have a good week at school. Um, we did have an offer accepted on a house last weekend. So that, that process isn't finalized. And so for that to go through and for us to get settled. And then as we begin the new, the new role in January. And just okay. to, to join a, a fairly large church and to get to know people and um, just to minister with them. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Kelly. Join me and appreciate it, brother. <laughs> if you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.